Welcome to A Sparkling Vintage Life, where we talk about all things vintage and celebrate the grace and charm of an earlier era. I'm your host, Jennifer Leo, and it's April 17th, 2019, as I record this. I'm so happy that you've stopped in to visit. I know your life is busy and time is short, so I hope to make it worth your while. This is episode 11 of the podcast, and today's topic is travel, specifically airline travel. I'm about to embark on a trip to the Chicago area to visit my father for Easter. In preparation, I thought it would be fun to look at travel from years past in comparison to today's rather inelegant proceedings. It's been a quiet week here in northern Idaho. I've been working on the audiobook edition of Songbird and Other Stories. I know there's some debate as to whether authors should record their own audiobooks or should hire voiceover talent to do it. I think that in fiction, the author's personal voice is important, so I've chosen to record this one myself. A couple of years ago, my publisher did hire a reader to record the audiobook of You're the Cream in My Coffee, and I I thought she did a competent job, but I'd like to try recording this one myself, and so I am. (laughs) That's one of the advantages of independent publishing, that I can maintain control and make these sorts of decisions for myself, for better or worse. If in the end I don't like the results, I can always try something else. If you listen to audiobooks, do you have an opinion whether you prefer books read by the author or read by a professional voice artist? It probably depends on whether the author is also a competent reader. I suppose that just because a person can write a story doesn't mean they can do a good job reading aloud. But I, th- I think I'll do okay. Anyway, that's my plan. The audiobook version of Songbird should be out in early May. The cover design is already done, and we're just waiting for me to finish recording the stories. Otherwise, since I'll be traveling this week, I probably won't get much writing done. Although sometimes planes and airports turn out to be good incubators for creative activity. I'll be prepared with my writing materials, just in case. And now on to today's topic. It's no secret that while travel has grown in speed, efficiency, and affordability, it has declined in grace and charm, and in some cases even basic civility. As I set off on my trip this week, I'm not looking forward to the government-sanctioned assault on my person that is the TSA pat-down, or the cattle car atmosphere of the airline cabin. I don't appreciate being nickeled and dimed for every tiny convenience, from checking a bag to having enough room to move my legs, but I will appreciate getting from Idaho to Illinois in hours versus days that it would have taken by train or car. In preparation, I thought it would be fun to look at some travel advice from long ago to see how travel back then compared to today's experience. Writing for teenagers in 1948, Eleanor Boykin had this to say about travel in general. 
There are so many ways to travel now that no one need remain always on home base. But don't even start on a bus trip to Uncle David's, though, unless you can bear up under an engine breakdown or a fidgety seatmate. People who cannot adjust to the unexpected and unwanted had better play tiddlywinks by the fire. But if your disposition is elastic, if you keep your eyes, ears, and mind open, not your mouth, travel will rub off some of your prejudices and will make you a more interesting person. It will not only broaden our tolerance as travelers, but also enlarge our goodwill to the stranger within our gates. Well, that's still true, isn't it? As a general rule, that travel exposes us to different types of people and different ways of living and different food. Um, and all these things in turn make us more interesting people to know, I think. Although I wonder how many listeners will understand the reference to tiddlywinks or even remember playing it. Tiddlywinks is a game that involves flipping little discs into a central container of some kind. I don't know if it's played much anymore. Anyway, Miss Boykin goes on to say, When traveling, ask the man in uniform, the station guard, policeman, or other person authorized to give information. Don't ask advice or aid of strangers except in serious emergencies. She writes, a girl traveling alone should be especially reserved with members of the opposite sex. If not, her attitude may be misunderstood, and she may find herself in a situation she will not enjoy. The best advice that can be given inexperienced travelers of either sex is to be very discreet in the matter of acquaintances. That's good advice in any decade, don't you think? As to plane travel, Miss Boykin writes, you may find yourself on the verge of taking a trip by air. You know that you must travel light. The aviation companies suggest that you let it be known when you are making your first trip by plane in order that special attention may be given to your comfort. Meals, which are substantial enough under the conditions, will be served to you without charge. You can feel free to call on the stewardess for information or advice. On most lines, there is a policy of no tipping. At your journey's end, it will not be out of place for you to express appreciation for their good services to either pilot or hostess. Going back further to 1938, the more worldly-wise Marianne Mead disagrees with Miss Boykin about advertising the fact that it's your first plane trip. She says, When you are taking your first airplane trip, do not advertise the fact that it is your first trip and expect the hostess and fellow passengers to be sympathetic with your nervousness or thrilled with excitement, as you probably are. If they are novices themselves, they won't be interested in your story. And if they are experienced air travelers, they will be bored. Maintain your poise, do what is expected of the seasoned air traveler, and enjoy the trip as much as possible. It doesn't sound as if Miss Mead herself was a big fan of airline travel, does it? She makes it sound more like it's something to be put up with. 
maybe she'd fit right in 2019. She continues, Adjust in your ears the plugs of cotton which the hostess will give you. Chewing gum may also be distributed. Both items are to prevent your ears being affected at high altitudes. Most passengers remove their coats, and a woman may remove her hat if she wishes. It is permissible to chat if your neighbors seem so inclined. Many passengers prefer to sleep or read a book throughout the trip. And under such circumstances, you should not insist on carrying on a conversation. Now, here's a totally outdated concept. Before lighting a cigarette, it is courteous to ask your neighbor if the smoke will annoy him and then ask the co-pilot if smoking is permitted. In some planes, a notice is posted in the front of the salon where, when smoking is permitted, but at other times and on other planes, smoking is strictly forbidden. Do not wear heavy perfume in the confined space of a plane, and when your corsage wilts, have it disposed of to avoid nauseating the other passengers. <laughs> Do not try to talk to the pilot or explore any of the compartments not open to passengers. And don't take it upon yourself to open the plane door when you land. <laughs> Boy, some of these behaviors that were inappropriate in the 1930s would get you arrested today. <laughs> I was actually surprised to find tips for plane travel going that far back to the 1930s. For some reason, I thought airplane travel only became commonplace for the general public after World War II, as opposed to military personnel. But clearly, enough people were flying around before the Second World War to make such etiquette rules necessary. Anyway, writing in 1934... Hallie Ermini Reeves, I think is how it's pronounced, R-I-V-E-S. She sounded a little more enthusiastic about air travel in her book on etiquette. She wrote, Today the great, luxurious airplane glides through the air as smoothly as the most perfectly equipped automobile takes to the road. The airlines plan everything for the passenger's comfort. As soon as he enters the terminal, his baggage is stowed away in the plane to be forgotten about until it is claimed at the end of the trip. Aboard the plane, the same efficiency and courtesy prevail. An attendant places the passenger's belongings on a rack above his head. Just before takeoff, the stewardess hands him a package of chewing gum and some cotton for his ears. The passenger remembers that he must not smoke until he is in the air, but once aloft, the stewardess passes cigarettes <laughs> and points out the convenient ashtray. The plane affords a generous assortment of magazines and newspapers, and at various intervals refreshments are served by the stewardess. Reclining chairs, individual ventilating systems, and in some planes, Motion pictures all provide for the traveler's comfort. That was another surprise to me. I thought motion pictures or movies on planes was a much more recent um, development, but here it's mentioned in a book from the 30s. 
If you were wondering what to wear on your travels in 1934, Hallie Reeves would have come to your rescue. She wrote, A woman for traveling should select a simple, unostentatious dress. Dark colors are preferable to light as they are less conspicuous and more serviceable from the standpoint of dust. And she probably meant coal dust from the trains. The traveling clothes of the well-dressed woman are admirable in their severity of cut and design. In other words, no frills and foibles. A close-fitting dark hat, preferably one with a flat back so that one may lean back comfortably. A tailored dress and a smart top coat, little or no jewelry and sensible footgear mark the experienced as well as the fashionable traveler. In the 1940s, Veronica Dengel basically agreed. She wrote, Take clothes that won't crush easily. On your trip, wear tweed or cloth suits or wool frocks with heavy coats rather than dressy, silky things. A couple of decades later, in 1964, Genevieve Antoine Dario had even more to say on the topic. In her book, A Guide to Elegance, she writes, If you consider that when you are far away from home and surrounded by strangers, you are judged entirely on the strength of your external appearance, perhaps you will realize the importance of being flawlessly well-dressed whenever you travel, which means that your clothes should be perfectly adapted to your role of traveler and not give the impression you are on your way to a wedding with a veiled hat and fur stole, or at the opposite extreme toward the conquest of Annapurna with a knapsack on your back. On the excuse that travel so often leads to a holiday resort, there is a dismaying tendency today to set forth already dressed for that first sunbath. <laughs> she continues, In trains, planes, or cars, if you are traveling from one city to another, you should wear a city outfit. With this basic ensemble, you will need very little in your suitcase if your accessories have been carefully planned. In the winter, your black pumps, black purse, and coat will be just as appropriate for all your evening wear. In the summer, your bag and shoes might be beige. A lightweight coat and a dressier stole in a neutral color will combine attractively with the two or three little dresses in your luggage. During, season, uh, during three seasons out of four, a suit is the mainstay of your wardrobe. It can be warmed up by a blouse or sweater, or it can be worn alone when the weather is mild. How does that description stack up next to the apparel sported by fellow passengers on your most recent flight? <laughs> Finally, Hallie Reeves offers us some advice for train or plane behavior that we'd do well to heed today. It is just as objectionable to annoy others by loud talking or boisterous laughter or by other unnecessary noise when in a train or plane as when in a private home. To wander up and down the aisles, to open conversations with strangers, except as man-to-man, -man, perhaps, in the freer atmosphere of the smoker. To call attention to oneself by eccentric behavior are badges of ill-breeding or of the self-conscious and inexperienced traveler. 
A train or plane is not the place in which to hold forth on one's personal affairs. Neither is it courteous to discuss one's fellow passengers or to point out peculiarities of appearance. <laughs> Goodness, I can't wait to see how well-behaved the general public will be on my upcoming flights. Maybe it's time for the tide to turn and good manners to come back into fashion. But I won't hold my breath lest I pass out and require smelling salts from the congenial but overworked air hostess or host. A reminder from last week's episode that there's still time to enter the giveaway of a beautiful porcelain rose pin created by the 1928 Jewelry Company. Visit sparklingvintagelife.com slash podcast, click on episode 11 and leave a comment that you'd like the pin. Or even better, leave a review of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you do leave a review, for which I would be most grateful, please alert me by email, jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, at sparklingvintagelife.com, and I'll put your name in the drawing. The winner will be chosen at random on April 30th, 2019. I'll also post a photo of the pin in the show notes so you can see it. You'll find the show notes at sparklingvintagelife.com slash podcast under episode 11. If you have a question you'd like me to answer or a suggestion or a topic for t- me to address later, drop me a line at jenny at sparklingvintagelife.com. If you can take a few minutes to stop by iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review, that will help raise the visibility of the show so others can find it. And I'll be back in a moment with today's Grace Note. Today's Grace Note is A Guide to Elegance by Genevieve Antoine Dario one of the books I quoted earlier. Originally published in 1964, this book was reprinted in 2004, and copies can still be obtained through Amazon and other online sellers. Some of the used copies available are quite inexpensive, or you can see if your local library can obtain it. Madame Dario was a French woman who worked um, for the design company of Nina Ricci. She was considered quite the fashion guru back in 1964. And um, remember that in this era, people were still hearkening back to style icons like Jackie Kennedy and Grace Kelly um, in those late 50s, early 60s um, fashion standards. So... um, Madame Dario wrote A Guide to Elegance as a primer on being well-dressed and developing grace and poise. It consists of 91 short articles arranged alphabetically from accessories to zoology. Now, as I'm sure you're wondering, the zoology chapter covers using live animals as accessories, a trend which apparently was having a moment in 1964. Madame Dario wrote, Making a public appearance with a baby panther, 
a tame crocodile, or an orangutan, or even a very intelligent one, (laughs) should be reserved for starlets in need of publicity, for it creates a circus atmosphere that is quite incompatible with the discreet behavior of an elegant woman. However, the situation is quite different if one's animal companion is our most faithful of friends, the dog. Wow, that sounds like something worthy of a future episode, the whole idea of accessorizing with a leopard or something. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening and come back next week when I'll be discussing another aspect of A Sparkling Vintage Life.